Welcome to this edition of Labor Vision. I'm Bob Delaney, Executive Director of the Institute for Labor Studies and Research. Labor Vision, a production of the Institute, focuses on topics of importance to working Rhode Islanders. We hope you enjoy this edition. a production of the Institute for Labor Studies and Research. I am your host, Erica Hammond, and join with me today for the second episode of the Women at Work series is Stephanie Mandeville, Communications Director for NEARI, and Kathy McElroy, President of SEIU Local 580. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you. All right, why don't we start with you, Stephanie. Can you tell us a little bit about NEARI and the members you represent? So NEA Rhode Island is a union and professional organization. We are 12,000 members strong, mm -hmm. and we have a wide swath of categories of members. So we've got um, classroom educators, education support professionals, um, higher education faculty, part-time faculty, ESP. Mm -hmm. um, we have professional um, staff, grad, grad assistants. Um, we have... Um, state workers, municipal workers. We have a really wide swath mm -hmm. of, of members, um, and 12,000 of them, uh, wow. including retirees. <laughs> and so um, that makes my job interesting, so I get to kind of balance a lot of different things, mm -hmm. a lot of different messages. Right. Um, so as communications director, that's part of my, um, the broadest part of my work is just making sure that um, we have a good sound message to get out to um, members at large and then the community also. Okay, and what are some specific items that your organization is trying to achieve at this time? So just two examples from the last you know couple of months. We have a um, Neary Children's Fund mm -hmm. um, which just completed the Gingerbread Express yes. yep. which um, Labor Vision does such a great job of covering. <laughs> Appreciate Thank that. Um, I call it the best day ever. Um, mm -hmm. So we do a gift giving program um, for public school students. Um, we also are doing um, some work with mental health in um, public schools. Mm -hmm. um, we are seeing and hearing from educators that there's an uptick of um, children experiencing trauma and yeah. having to deal with that and self-care for teachers. Um, and so we're trying to address that um, and do some of those things. And just recently this week we had, um, there was a rally in Situate yeah. Um, for uh, the custodians who are facing the threat of privatization. Mm -hmm. um, and so part of my job is to make sure that that message gets out. So I try okay. and get to as many events as I can. Um, and so I was at the rally taking video, doing mm -hmm. those sorts of things, and helping locals also um, hone their message for um, this, the issues that they're facing. I appreciated your uh, being at the rally because I had to miss it. <clears throat> so I was really happy to see that I could still kind of be there. And, uh, Good, and also support. they didn't have um, their equipment up and running, unfortunately, yeah. at the school committee. So I was able to capture the oh, video of, of the people testifying, which was okay. important. And the Gingerbread Express, that was my f this was my first year. So I was oh. really excited to be able to be there. It's fantastic. It really was the best day of the year. It is. <laughs> I look forward to it every year. <laughs> All right, and so Kathy, what about you? Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about SEIU Local 580 and the work that you guys are doing? Sure. So we are, um, we're an SEIU organization. We're technically the Rhode Island Alliance of Social Service Employees. Okay. Um, we are purely public. Uh, we don't have any private 
um, entities or workers. My my members mostly like Stephanie. They're kind of a, across a, a rather broad spectrum mm -hmm. of I, predominantly social work. Um, I have investigators. I have accountants. I have examiners. Um, I have you know clerical, um, clinical psychologists, clinical social workers. So we we cover um, various positions in nine of the. Um, of the State Departments and, and four of the ones that I consider the biggest, right. um, DCYF, DHS, EOHHS, and Buddha. Okay. And I know a few months ago we had you on talking about um, the DCYF, the yes. small victory, right? Yes. A victory that you guys had there. Do you want to just touch on that quickly for anyone sure. who missed it? Um, so we, one of the biggest pushes that we've been making um, in the DCYF world is uh, additional staffing. Mm -hmm. uh, I've made no secret of the fact that my people are overworked, um, that the caseloads are um, considerably higher than the um, suggested national uh, average and best practice mm -hmm. for social work and, and casework dealing with families and children uh, who are going through traumatic right. events. Mm -hmm. um, so we, after a lot of um, consultation, the, uh, we did get 20 additional frontline social work positions mm -hmm. that have been filled. We still have a little bit of an issue with a revolving door kind of thing, so we filled those 20, but I still have now uh, about 12 or 13 vacancies. Okay. Those are going to be filled hopefully sometime this month, I think towards the end of the month. We, uh, the department also did uh, a supplemental budget that included uh, additional frontline positions for my child protective services, which are all the investigators that uh, investigate, you know, allegations of right. child abuse and neglect. Right. So predominantly, that's what we're looking at mm -hmm. for that department. Caseloads. Um, every department, I think, changes. I feel like it's it's at a whim. Um, the policies or practices and the way that they do business um, to better serve the clients. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of that we're, we're on board with. I'd like to be part of the discussion. Right, absolutely. So. All right, well thank you. Mm -hmm. And now I wanna shift our conversation a little bit into women in leadership, considering this is the women in leadership episode of the Women at Work series. Um, so can, this will be a question for both of you. Um, what leadership tips do you have for women looking to get more involved in their union? Um, I would say get more involved with your union. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah, maybe step out of your comfort zone a little bit. Maybe okay. do something that's um, going to build your skill set. Um, maybe step out of your cohort. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're, you know, um, elementary ESP, maybe um, look into attending some statewide stuff where you're going to start crossing over with a DOH employee mm -hmm. or you know a higher ed um, part-time faculty member. Right. Um, and so just getting yourself out there. Right. Um, talk to your local president, talk to your local leaders mm -hmm. um, and see what they're doing so that you can kind of get more involved. Yeah. And as a local president, um, I, do, I do consistently send messages to all of my membership, predominantly female, mm -hmm. um, to, you know, that we're looking for assistance with 
um, bylaws or contracts or elections committees, all the mm -hmm. things that you know we do on a yearly basis or a bi-yearly basis, and um, you know, so so reaching out to your steward, be a steward, start mm -hmm. at the bottom. If you haven't had any. Um, involvement, there are plenty of things to do, and trust mm -hmm. me, because I run myself ragged every single day. I, you know, so so there's a lot of work to spread around, right. um, and I'm sure every other union would feel the same way. That the mm -hmm. more that people that are involved and knowledgeable, the better, and Absolutely. especially in, in women. And more from a statewide perspective, mm -hmm. um, you know, reach out to your 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 statewide. I've had, um, you know, a couple of English teachers. Mm -hmm email me and say, hey, I'd love to do a little bit of writing. I love that. I'm yeah. always looking for content. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I love that kind of a thing. And mm -hmm. to just, you know, put yourself out there, mm -hmm. you know, create the opportunities for yourself right. to go right. out there and do it. And you have to, in order to do that, you have to, in most cases, step outside of your comfort zone, right? You do. I, I'll, I'll throw in a little pitch for labor vision. I mean, mm -hmm. not labor vision, for leadership for a future, one of the programs that I right. um, run at the Institute. And I know that during our retreat, we do an exercise and we talk about comfort zones. So there's the first layer of the comfort zone where you feel comfortable. And then um, there's a second layer where you feel uncomfortable. And then there's a the next layer where you get the most work done is when you're at your, um, it's a, not a scare, it's not, you're not scared, but it's your, oh my God, face. It's the stomach um, ache. There's yeah, that, exactly. that particular that stomach, stomach. Your stomach that you get. Yeah, yes. so just pushing yourself a little bit further is important. Right? Well, and it, it lines with ask a busy person if you mm -hmm. want something done, right? So right. that the busier you are, the more productive you seem to feel. I feel um, that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. Yes. All right. And so uh, what are some experiences that you both have had developed, you've developed as you you, that have developed you as a leader, I'm sorry. So, so for me, I, I had, um, when I, before I came into this position, I've now been in three years, um, absolutely zero management or organizational mm -hmm. uh, skills. I did have a, um, a big union background because I come from a union family. I've, mm -hmm. I've been around unions. I grew up with them. I know, you know, I've walked picket lines and, and things like that, so I know the process. Um, and I knew my contract because I was involved at a lower level, but as far as a leadership position, it was difficult for me. I think I think what shaped it, trial by fire. So I walked, when I walked in the door in January 1st, 2017, I had 72 people that were laid off. Mm -hmm. And I needed to figure out a way to get them back to work. And to, and to help the department, you know, reorganize kind of, but with my people in the mm -hmm. picture. And so I think for me that it was, it, it was a trial by fire thing. I think you learn as you go. Mm -hmm. um, anybody who sits back and says, I don't have the experience to do that, that's not, there is no prerequisite for that. Yeah. The only way to get the experience is to actually dig in and do it. The best experience is the learned experience. Right, exactly. Right. And to realize the opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, my background is um, media strategy, political strategy. I've worked in politics, I've worked um, in small public relations firms. Mm -hmm. um, and in those small firms, you kind of learn a little bit of everything because yeah. you, you know, there's only a few of you. Right. Um, so take advantage and realize the opportunities that are there in front of you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've had the great fortune of having people say, hey, you come, what do you think about working for us? Or what do you think mm -hmm. about, and so realizing that those opportunities mm -hmm. are there and, and really take advantage mm -hmm. and assert yourself. Mm -hmm. 
And what would you both say is the biggest impact um, of when women step into leader, or when women are developing themselves as leaders or step into a leadership role or get more involved? What is the biggest impact that it would have? I think women lift each other up mm -hmm. uh, in, you know, in the grand scheme. Um, women need other women mm -hmm. because um, we have shared experiences. Mm -hmm. um, they may look slightly different, mm -hmm. um, but we certainly have shared experiences, shared challenges, especially mm -hmm. in the workplace. Um, and so to have um, you know, a woman at the table with you, um, that, that means a lot. Right. You're, and we talked about this before. We talked about it before we started. I think it's important, um, and both of our you know, memberships are predominantly mm -hmm. uh, right. female-based. Um, and I'm sure my male members are going to be like, hey, we are here too, and they are. They are. Um, but the predominant number of, you know, any uh, of both of these organizations mm -hmm. are, are, are women, and women do have um, unique um, situations in workplaces. Mm -hmm. We've fought for years for things like equal pay and, um, you know, position-wise that, that we do the same work as men. Mm -hmm. Um, and get paid less. You know, fortunately for the state, and I believe in the teacher contract, we don't have to worry about those things. If you're mm -hmm. in this position, you're each getting paid the same amount. Mm -hmm. But there are other struggles. Um, you know, dynamics in an office, and um, and one of the things that we talked about was meetings. So mm -hmm. as simple as meetings get at four o'clock, right. when you need to, you know, women predominantly caregivers, mm -hmm. right? So you have children or parents or whatever right. that you need to take care of at the end of the day. And so it's the balance. It's the balance. Mm -hmm. It's the work-life balance and right. work-home balance. And I actually have uh, somebody going through a struggle with that right now. And it's it is difficult. Right. Um, but I th that's why I think it's important for um, women, I agree with Stephanie, to support each other, um, to know that we may have different views on things. It doesn't right. make you know one way or the other wrong. Absolutely. Um, but sometimes we, you know, uh, we add that extra little, you know, um, I don't, I, a touchy-feely piece. Right. I'm, I'm not. Absolutely. I'm saying it incorrectly, but I know. What you mean. But I, I explained to you before mm -hmm. a little bit about, you know, my office manager sent something out very clinically, and mm -hmm. then when I sent it out, I was like, oh, congratulations! And you know, right. if you need more information, it's it's just right. that approach, right. I think. And not all women are like that, right. and and not all men are not like that. So mm -hmm. I, I don't mean to make it that way. Right. No, but. absolutely. All right. Well. We have a lot to talk about and we should continue this conversation, but uh, for the sake of time, I want to thank you both so much for being here. Thank you. Um, and I'd love to have you guys back thank you as soon as we can. Us. So thank you so much. Thanks. All right. For those of you who are just tuning in, you're watching Labor Vision. Uh, if you've missed any of this episode, check out our new website. It's www.laborvisionri.org. Thank you so much. Have a great night. Welcome to Labor Vision, a production of the Institute for Labor Studies and Research. I'm your host, Erica Hammond, and join with me today the Executive Director of URI's chapter of the AAUP is Jay Walsh. Thank you so much for joining us, Jay. Hi, Erica. Thanks for Hi. having me. All right. So you want to tell us a little bit about your organization? Sure. Uh, the University Chapter of the American Association of University Pro um, Professors represents all the full-time faculty at the University of Rhode Island. That's the tenure-track faculty, the clinical faculty, mm -hmm. the research faculty, lecturers, senior lecturers, 
in teaching professors. We um, collectively bargain uh, the contract and we enforce the contract for uh, the working conditions for the faculty at the university. All right. And what is your organization, what is the union trying to achieve right now, either on a, on a um, university level or both in the community? Well, they're integrated together. Um, ideally, in the big picture, what we're trying to achieve is, is the best conditions possible for students to learn at the university mm -hmm. and for the faculty to provide services to the residents of the state of Rhode Island. So we do that by bargaining the working conditions because the faculty depend on great working conditions to provide um, important research and scholarship to create meaningful and relevant uh, learning experiences for mm -hmm. students and um, to engage in impactful service at the university and with citizens in the state of Rhode Island. And why is this so important? Well, URI is a land-grant institution. It's a land-grant, a sea-grant, and an urban-grant institution. Okay. And it's the state's flagship public research institution. Mm -hmm. The land, It became a land-grant institution um, in 1863, and that means that there was a, a, a initiative to have each state have their institutions of higher learning focus on agriculture, science, and, and engineering. And then in uh, 1966, NOAA became involved with developing Sea Grant institutions, and URI became a Sea Grant institution then to focus on uh, scientific research, education, and training for the conservation and the pra practical use of coastal areas mm -hmm. and, and marine areas. And then in the mid-90s, URI became an urban grant institution, which means that URI is um, uh, socially involved in the community, civically engaged, and serves as a resource to educate the citizens of Rhode Island and also improve the health of the region. Okay. And with all of that being said, what are some of the challenges that your organization faces? Well, the, the most significant challenge that the institution faces, which is a, a challenge for our organization, mm -hmm is that um, public appropriations for higher education in Rhode Island are still below the rate that they were in 1990. So almost 30 years later, mm -hmm. um, uh, the, the state's appropriations for the university have not caught back up to where they were in 1990. Um, 2008 to 2016, there was a 23% decrease in state appropriations for the university. The national average at that time was 15% because of the recession, mm -hmm. we're still behind, uh, the, Rhode Island is still behind funding public education there. And Rhode Island ranks 41st out of 50 states for, public, uh, for funding public educa higher mm -hmm. education in the state. And since, since that decrease has, has it, we are, it's only been, I wanna say, then about four years now, um, since that decrease, has there been any increase since then that has made up for us, at least made even? No, um, we're still behind. We're behind where we were in 2008, and we're behind where we were in 1990. And that presents a problem because it, it shifts the cost of higher ed mm -hmm. to students and to families. And we already know the, the crisis that we have with um, uh, student lending and mm -hmm. student borrowing, and the, the state's contribution to higher ed is put families and students uh, in jeopardy. Okay. And now most conversations about higher education, I know focus on job training. You have concerns with this. Why is that? Well, 
there's a difference between training and education. Training tends to focus on how do you respond to a very specific situation. Mm -hmm. Education enables people to, to think deeply, to uh, develop complex answers to very difficult questions, mm -hmm. and not just respond to what exists now, but to plan for what is going to be in the future. And right. it's kind of, I, th I, I see the difference between training and education is, the, is partly the difference between um, what the world is and mm -hmm. what world the students are going to create. Think about the difference between our world when I entered undergraduate 30 years ago mm -hmm. and what it is now and how much the, the world has trained, uh, changed. And if, and if everybody in 1989 was trained just to adapt to the world as it is right. and not um, be able to create the world that we're going to create together, then um, we wouldn't have too much progress. And what would you say is the um, impact that this has on the larger community? <clears throat> well, there are a couple. First, with the challenges um, with the funding from the state, the faculty have done a tremendous job in revamping the curriculum, mm -hmm. in providing uh, additional opportunities for students to be able to engage in classes in the summertime and in the wintertime so that they can stay on track to graduate. The four-year graduation rate has increased significantly. The huge. The yeah, it's, it's very big. And mm -hmm. the retention rate, students that are staying in school, has increased significantly. Um, but that has an impact. Just like uh, all other workplaces, when production goes up mm -hmm. or production improves, it, it puts an additional burden on the workers. And faculty are um, seeing increased class sizes, more students to mm -hmm. teach, more papers to grade. The demands on campus during the academic year are greater, which forces a lot of faculty to um, spend time outside of their contractual year doing things that they should be doing their, mm -hmm. during their contractual year, including right engaging in research, um, developing scholarship, publishing papers. Um, but there are some great highlights of what the faculty have done and what the students do. Uh, for example, the Block Island Wind Farm. Yep. Um, that project wouldn't have been able to get done without the ocean engineering faculty. Mm -hmm. The uh, landscape architecture faculty and department work with cities and towns in the state to um, redesign and, and reconstruct coastal areas along the bay and mm -hmm. along uh, Block Island Sound and along the ocean to protect downtown areas and neighborhoods mm -hmm. from storms and from rising tides. Um, the political science department helps the Department of Labor and Training evaluate their programs so that they can improve the programs for um, people who work in the state of Rhode Island. The, they've also um, uh, worked with the City of Providence to develop to improve their uh, youth summer employment program. Um, a number of faculty across departments have developed a cyber seniors program where students work with uh, older members of the Rhode Island population to help them learn how to use cell phones and tablets and laptops. Mm -hmm. And building those relationships between college-age students and older adults helps them when they go into their fields and, you know, especially in the medical fields and dealing with geriatric populations and, mm -hmm. and older adults. So there's a lot of tremendous work that goes on by the faculty mm -hmm. um, that has explicit connections to the, the citizens of Rhode Island. Right. And you can you can see 
Going back to your point on how the class sizes are getting larger and the workload for faculty is getting larger when that happens, it's a direct, there's a direct impact on the faculty and on, I mean on the students, sorry. Um, because I, I saw that a lot in college, that when I had a class that had definitely too many students in it, and it's so much better when you can have, I know you can't always have the one-on-one -on -one with a teacher, but when they have the time to be able to help you with that, it's, it makes a world of a difference too. It does, it makes a world of a difference. You know, I, I work with a lot of high school age students and, mm -hmm. and the number one piece of advice I give to them as they're getting ready to begin college is to go to, um, office hours and get yeah. to meet the faculty and mm -hmm. it's harder to do when there are 67 students in a class instead mm -hmm. of 30 students in a class. Right. Now switching gears a little bit, um, the General Assembly I know is establishing a new uh, board of trustees at URI. So rather than being governed by the Rhode Island Council, what do you think about this? Well, the, we're cautiously optimistic mm -hmm. that it's going to work out well. The, okay. the, University is currently governed by the Council on Post-Secondary Education, which also oversees the Community College of Rhode Island and Rhode Island College. And um, there are sometimes the initiatives developed by the faculty have been stalled by the mm -hmm. council um, because it's just it's too much work for the council to do. And we hope that having a board of trustees focusing exclusively on URI mm -hmm. will be uh, beneficial to the entire university. That's good. And that there should be appointed by February? Is They're supposed to be appointed by February. There are going to be 17 members of the board. Okay. Um, three of them, only three of them, have to be Rhode Island residents, which causes us a little bit of concern. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, it, it, just for the democratic oversight of mm -hmm. an institution, um, the initial proposal was, didn't require any of them. So mm -hmm. three is better than none, but we would have liked to have seen more. Right. Uh, there will be 17 appointees. 13 of them require, are required for a quorum. I think the, the governor's plan is to um, have 13 appointed by February so they okay. have a quorum and it requires advice and consent of the Senate. All right, so folks should keep an eye on that. Yeah, it should happening. be coming out soon. Okay. And now you've been at URI AUP for almost four years. What have you learned that you think most Rhode Islanders might not know? The faculty at the university work far harder than they're given credit for by the public. Mm -hmm. Um, they love what they do, they're passionate about their fields, they're passionate about their students, uh, they care about improving people's lives. Mm -hmm. uh, every faculty member that I talk to about their research projects and their teaching talk about how their work is connected to the lived experiences of people in the state of Rhode Island. And that's really impressive. Um, their research, their teaching, their service is so time consuming. Yep. Um, the service to the university and the service to the state, the teaching, um, preparing for the, cl the classes, um, conducting the classes, uh, grading and everything afterwards, and then the research. The, the, the old adage, you know, publish or perish, mm -hmm. is true in the university. And a lot of faculty spend time outside of their contractual year doing doing the work that they should be able to do during the academic year. And faculty oftentimes have to pay for their own travel. Wow. Um, the other thing is that I think most people don't know, faculty bring in uh, almost $100, $100 million a year in research grants um, from outside the state to the state of Rhode Island. You said $100 million? $100 million, wow. uh, close to it. Um, and the faculty at the university are, are really 
uh, a hidden jewel in the state. Mm -hmm. And I think it's time that they get some more recognition for what they do for the state and for the students right. uh, than they currently get. Absolutely. Well, that's, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Um, was there anything that you wanted to elaborate on for that some of the, um, that your organization is trying to achieve before we wrap up? No, we're, <clears throat> we're just trying to, you know, make sure that the faculty have great working conditions right. so they can continue to great thing, do great things for the citizens of Rhode Island and the students that attend the university. Absolutely. Good. Thank you, Erica. You're welcome. Thank, well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I hope that folks are not just tuning in, but if you are just tuning in, you can catch any of this episode that you've missed on our YouTube channel. It's uh, Labor Vision TV One, as well as our brand new website, uh, which is www.labervisionri.org. Thank you so much for watching. We hope to see you all back here next week. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Labor Vision. We appreciate your input and encourage your comments. Labor Vision can be seen on this channel three times each week, Tuesday at 7 p.m., Thursday at 8 p.m., and Saturday at 5 p.m.